Good morning, Oakwood family. So glad that you're here this morning. What a great time of worship, right? Just another glimpse of what heaven's going to be like when we're all at the throne of God, being able to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Uh, we are going to complete our series today that we've been in for the last several weeks called Kingdom Worker. Uh, you might remember if you were with us a few weeks ago, the first week we talked about how uh, we need to uh, have a heart for kingdom work. And we talked about how we need to repent and we need to love God even more and really check our hearts and make sure they're right um, if we're going to work for the kingdom and, and, and be uh, a Christ follower all the way. The second week we talked about preparation and we've been talking about how um, part of that preparation is being trained in the scripture, being trained in the word of God. And, and uh, this week, man, great opportunity uh, to be involved this Wednesday night as we launch all of our discipleship groups uh, starting this Wednesday night. If you don't know where you're going for that, uh, in the bulletin today, th this week I think it's blue. That blue sheet of paper tells you all of that. Uh, 6.30 on Wednesday night. Would love for you to be involved uh, in God's church and be discipled in those ways. There's a, a whole variety of different uh, groups that we offer and they're going to be great. Last week, we talked about how we need to be a people that are actually kingdom workers, that we put, we do work. We actually put faith into action. We looked at the book of James and, and all the calls in there that, that we are to be a people that don't just say, why well, have faith but no works. We show our faith by how we work for the Lord, how we are put into kingdom service and kingdom ministry. And today it's really cool because we're going to be talking about the results of kingdom work. Because I think so many times we don't even realize the impact that we have. Many of us, we won't even know this side of heaven, how our impact and how our kingdom service really made a difference in someone's life. And I can give you all these different scenarios, but one of the things that just always really speaks to me is uh, back in my years of youth ministry, uh, from, from yonder year, um, getting those uh, just occasional email or an occasional you know, Facebook message from a student that I had in youth group a long time ago. And I remember them as a kid. I don't know them at all as an adult. But how gratifying and satisfying it is to think I just can't, I just did my part, right? I, I was teaching lessons, teaching the Bible to kids. Uh, I, I baptized several kids. But to know that maybe 10, 15, 20 years later, they are still walking with the Lord today. Some of them even in ministry uh, full time. It's just, it's just so satisfying. You don't know how your kingdom work can make a difference in someone's life like that. And if you ever, if you ever question that, just hang on because uh, you can pray and I think God might reveal that to you. Uh, we're going to be talking about the fruit of kingdom work today, and we're going to do that through the Word of God. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Now, next week, we're going to uh, start a new series. Um, it's called Intervention, and it's, uh, it's really about when should we intervene as Christians. It's going to be really, really good, uh, so make sure that you're here for that. Philippians chapter 1 is where we're going to begin uh, this morning. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, just a little background into this book. Uh, this is written to Christians and the church in Philippi. And we're going to actually get into the beginnings of that church today, uh, learn a lot about it. So let's dive right in uh, and, and read here Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. And, and just a reminder, if you have your Bible, great, turn there. If you don't have one, there's one, should be one around you there in the seat. And you're always welcome to get on your tablet or to get on your phone. If you download the Oakwood app, and you go to sermon notes in the app. All the scriptures and all the bullet points are there for you. There's even a way for you to take notes for yourself and save them. So you are encouraged to be on your device. We want you to engage in the word of God as we read and study it together each and every week. So Philippians chapter 1 verse 1 
says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons. That word overseer is another word for elder. Uh, translation as an overseer. So that's to the elders and the deacons in that church, the lay leaders in that church. He says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says this, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. What he's talking about there is this partnership we have. When we come into Christ Jesus, we come in as kingdom workers. When you say, I accept Jesus as my Lord and my Savior, then he is the Lord of your life and you do what your Lord tells you to do. And so he's saying that there's this partnership we have in the gospel, and it was from the first day, from the first day you laid eyes on Christ, the first time you made that decision, when you were in that watery grave of baptism, from that day until now, we are partners in the gospel. It's not just about me, the Apostle Paul, that's written most of the New Testament. No, it's about you. We are all kingdom workers together. And then he says this, he says in, in verse 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. That God's not done with you yet. That good work that he began in you, we will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, until Christ Jesus comes again. Verse 7, and it is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. If you've read Paul's other epistles and other letters to churches and Christians in the New Testament, and you read the beginning of those letters, you get the, you know, the greeting of, hey, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ, and greetings to you in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But this one, he shows this great, this very, very deep affection for this group of believers. I mean, I mean, he's just, he's kind of laughing it on here. I mean, do you get that feeling? I mean, he's so, he, he just, he's just so affectionate toward these people. And we're going to understand a little bit about why in just a few minutes. But I wanted to point, to point that out, make sure that doesn't go by us. That, that he says, hey, you, where there's this partnership in the gospel and God's done this work in you. He's going to carry it on to completion. And it's right for me to feel this way about you, that I have this affection for you. Let's go to verse 9 now. And he finishes this, this part with this. He says, and this is my prayer. Remember he said earlier that he'd been praying for them. He says, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. It's interesting that he chooses those two things right there. That your love may abound in what? Works of service, they abound in, in all these other things. No, he says that they would abound in knowledge and depth of insight. Why? Why? Look at verse 10. He says, so that you may be able to what? Discern what is best. What is best for your kingdom work. Discern what is best and that your witness and testimony would be together, right? We talked about that a couple weeks ago. He says, and that you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Verse 11, filled with the fruit of what? Righteousness. That's how we're to look as Christ followers that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. See, that's what is attractional about being a follower of Jesus Christ is that transformational change that happens in us. The people in the world look at it and go, whoa, man, I didn't think he'd ever stop doing that. 
man, Jesus must have really got involved in his life, and that's exactly what he's talking about here. Because these, these people that formed this church in Philippi, they were those people. They were lost. Some of them really lost. Some of them just, just Jesus, God, eternal life wasn't even on their radar. They're just doing what they're supposed to be doing. And yet you get to this point and you're like, whoa. He's had this great affection for these people. Why? I'll give you a little glimpse and then we're going to read about it. It's because Paul, as a faithful kingdom worker, had done some kingdom work with this church in Philippi. And he had had some amazing things happen when he was faithful to God in his kingdom work. And let's read about it. So I want you to turn to the book of Acts. So if you're in Philippians, go back to the left. Go back to the book of Acts. And we're going to look at chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. This is where we read about the first disciples that are made in this town of Philippi. So this would be the birth, the beginning of the church in Philippi, all the way back in Acts chapter 16. After first service today, I had somebody come up, uh, was talking to me after the, the service, and he was saying how I've been reading all the epistles in the New Testament because there's just so much richness there on the faith and, and Christian living and how we're supposed to walk and what we're supposed to do. And, and he said, he put in there, he's like, it just, it's just uh, amazing. He goes, but now you make me want to go back and read the book of Acts so I can see where all these places got their start. Because all these churches that we read about in the New Testament, a lot of those got their start, and you can even read about some of the starts like we are today in the book of Acts. It was Paul, the Apostle Paul and, and Timothy and Silas and all these that were on these missionary journeys, and they plant these churches. Let's look at Acts chapter 16. Now, we're going to begin with verse 11, but there's a couple things I want to point out before we start reading there. The first one is this, is that Paul was there with other companions. It wasn't just he and Silas. Now, he and Silas are mentioned as we get into the story today. There's some things that happened to, to specifically to Paul and Silas, but there were others there. If you look at the beginning of, of chapter 16, you read about Timothy, that Timothy had joined them. You also read about others, and usually when they traveled, there was kind of their own little small group, like this entourage that they bring with them. So there, there are several of them, and in verse 6 of this chapter, it says Paul and his companions uh, traveled throughout this region, and they were doing his missions work. And then if you get down to uh, verse 9, it, he had a vision of a man in a place called Macedonia that was standing and begging him, and, it's, and he said, come over to Macedonia and help us. And so that's what the Apostle Paul is doing. He was answering the call to kingdom work through that vision. Hey, come over to Macedonia. And so that's where we pick up our story here in, 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 chapter, or in uh, chapter 16, verse 11. This is what it says. From Troas, he put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. And the next day he went to Neapolis. A little factoid Bible trivia, Neapolis. Polis meaning like metropolitan, means city, and neo means new. So literally, the name of that place in English to us would be the new city, Neapolis. From there, verse 12, he traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And he stayed there for several days. So this was a thriving, growing city, lots of people there. Uh, it, it was, if you look at Philippi, where the site is today, you'd say, well, how is that like a port city and a trade city? It's like three miles inland. Well, it's built on a, it's real, built right beside a river, and that river has put silt in, and so now it's three miles inland. We're back in this day, it was right there on the coast. And so you need to kind of understand, this place was strategically located. It would be a great place to have the gospel preached. Let's, let's read what happens. Verse 13. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. 
And we sat down and began to speak to the women, plural, who had gathered there. Now let me paint this picture for you. So they're, they're, it's the Sabbath day and they're going, they're going out to the place of prayer. And th this is kind of like their worship time, their worship service. And they're going to go focus on the Lord. I'm sure that they broke bread there and, and took communion. And as they go down there, there's this group of women. And this group of women is doing the same thing. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, they've invaded, you know, the, the women's Bible study, right? You know, the ladies are there, and they're, they're doing their Beth Moore study, and, and here comes Paul and, and Silas and his, his people, and they, and they come up. And so, so listen to what happens here. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira, which is in Asia Minor, so, so she's, she's from that area, named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. Now let's make sure we understand what we just read there. So there, there's this lady from Asia Minor, Thyatira. Her name is Lydia. She is a dealer in purple cloth. And what that meant was she was like a fashion mogul, like a very wealthy fashion mogul. When you dealt in purple cloth, you dealt with royalty. The only people that could afford the purple cloth in that day were, were the royals. It was the rich people. It was the kings and the queens and the, the princes and the princesses. And, and, and so she, she was one that was dealing with all of those. And so she was obviously a fashion guru, probably a corporate guru of some type, someone who was a, a mover and a shaker and, a, and an up-and-comer in that time. And then it says this in the next part of verse 14. It says, she was a worshiper of God. That word worshiper there in the Greek is the word sabo. And it actually means to revere deeply. And so was she a worshiper of God? Yes, but she was revering God deeply. Most scholars believe that she had been exposed to some type of Judaism. She hadn't heard about Jesus Christ. She had not heard about the gospel. And so she's just doing what she knew about, which was, I am fascinated with this God, the God of the Israelites, the God of the Jews, and I want to learn more. And so she joined the local Bible study, and, and she was getting the heart of God and getting to, to know God. She was a worshiper of God. And then the last part of verse 14 says, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Paul had this knack. Wherever he went, he presented the gospel. He presents the gospel here. God opens her heart, and she, she opens her heart to respond to Paul's message. Verse 15, when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. So they, they obviously hear the gospel message, they respond, they're baptized, and then it says she, was invi she invited them to their home, and she said this, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. I mean, probably the fashion mogul's got this huge pad there and she'd love to share it with the missionaries coming through. And so she's like, hey, come on over. I got lots of room. Come and, come and stay at my house. And then it says, and she persuaded us. And so Paul and, and Silas and Timothy and the rest that are with that group stay at Lydia's place. Interesting. The first convert that we have record of in the city of Philippi is Lydia. But that's not where the church stopped. There were more that would come. Let's pick up our story now in verse 16, Acts 16, 16. It says, once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit, that means like a demonic spirit, an evil spirit, by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. And she followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, 
These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Now, picture what's happening, okay? They're, they're minding their own business. What, what does it say? They were going to the place of prayer. You know, they're, 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 and this slave girl begins to follow them. And it tells you a little bit about her that she made money for her, you know, she was enslaved and she made money uh, for her owners through fortune telling. If you go back to the original Greek word, when it says uh, slave girl, it, all, it also gives us the idea that she was a young slave girl. And most scholars believe she was somewhere between 11 and 15 years old. 11, 15 year old, fortune telling. And she follows them, and just picture it, she's following them, and she's just, she just keeps saying this over and over and over. These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. And she just does this over and over and over. Look at verse 18. She kept this up for many days. <laughs> and finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and he said to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the Spirit left her. And when her owners realized that their hope of making even more profits and money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Total bait and switch here, right? That's not what happened. What happened is we took your financial income source we took this slave girl and her ability to do fortune telling has now left her and you know it. And so now what you're going to point out is that we are of Jewish descent and because of this, this turmoil that, that even happens here in Philippi, because of this, this turmoil between the Jewish customs and the Roman authorities, we're going to play this card right now. We're going to try to get you guys in, in trouble and we're even going to say it's an uproar and, and that they're advocating these customs and, and us Romans, we don't accept or, or practice this. Verse 22, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. Now, so many times we read about these beatings in the New Testament, okay? And, and sometimes, you know, okay, they're beaten with rods, right? Let, let's really think about what this was like. They would strip them so that their skin was exposed. So all that they're wearing on their body, they're, they're stripped Okay, and then in this case, they beat them with rods, okay? And this wasn't like, you know, hey, hitting them on the back with a rod, you know. Um, modern day, maybe you'd call it a caning, you know. It's like, oh, you're going to cane them in the back with a rod. They're going to have a little bit of bruises. No, these people beat these guys. I, I picture that their, their backs are bloodied. You know, you got pieces of flesh hanging off. This isn't some, you know, thing like, like a father or a mother disciplining their, their children. This isn't like a spare the rod, spoil the child type of moment here. No, these people are beating these guys. And then look what it says in verse 23. It gives us even a little more. It says, and after they had been severely flogged, bruised, bloody, beaten, then they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Why? Because they're men of God. And when he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. A lot going on here. A lot going on here in the establishment of God's church. 
we have Lydia, right? And then we have a demon-possessed, well, now formerly demon-possessed slave girl. Lydia, of Asian descent from Asia Minor, slave girl, Greek, local to Philippi. Lydia, very, very well off, slave girl, impoverished. Lydia is free. The slave girl is, well, a slave. Lydia is well-educated. The slave girl probably had no formal education. Lydia, it appears to everyone that she just has it all. And the slave girl has nothing. Lydia is a seeker of God. She'd been exposed to some teaching. She'd heard some things. She had joined the local women's Bible study group. She was a seeker where the slave girl was walking in complete and utter darkness to the point of demon possession. And the shouting and screaming young lady gets to meet the power of Jesus Christ. And really, if you think about it, in the context of what we read, it's an unexplainable act of power. First two members of the church in Philippi, quite a diverse group. But wait, there's more. Look at verse 25. About midnight, so they're in jail. Remember, they've just been beaten, they're bloodied, they're hurting. What are you going to be doing? Moaning, right? Out. Oh, my goodness. You know, try not to get infection. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Now, I don't know if they were like gifted voices, you know, because there's some people that might be doing that that I wouldn't want to listen to them. <laughs> and there's some people I'd really like to listen to, like some of our worship team this morning. I could listen to them, you know, all, all week long. But but they're, they're, they are praising the Lord and singing hymns, and the other prisoners were listening to them, verse 26, and suddenly there was a violent earthquake, so much violence that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and at once all the prison doors fly open and everyone's chains come loose. Now remember, they were tied to the stocks, okay, so they had some chains around their, their ankles, perhaps their arms there, and all that comes off and the jail doors are thrown open. Verse 27, the jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he, he drew a sword, and he was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Now, let me explain what's going on there. There's a rule. If you are a prison guard and your prisoners get away, we will kill you. We execute you. So, you don't sleep on the job. You make sure the prison is secure at all times. And so, he says, man, the prison, I mean, he felt the earthquake. He saw the prison open. He's like... They're, they're all escaped. I might as well just take my life now. I, I don't want to face execution on what they're going to do to me. Verse 28, but Paul shouted at him, don't harm yourself. We are all here. Now look at verse 29. The jailer called for lights. It's, it's dark, right? It's midnight. They've been singing hymns. It's after midnight. Jailer calls for lights. They rushed in, and then he fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Why? Because he knows your life, my life is ultimately in your hands now. <laughs> in verse 30, he says, he then brought them out and he asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Evidently, I mean, to me when I'm reading that, it's like kind of an odd question, an odd place for it. <laughs> That's not what I expected the next line in the story to be is, oh, what must I do to be saved? Evidently, this, this Philippian jailer had somehow heard about the kingdom work of Paul and Silas. 
to the point that he says, hey, what must I do to be saved? I heard that you're a holy man. I've seen your work. I've heard, and I've heard that Lydia's on fire for this Jesus now, and and I know why you're in prison. It's because, you know, everybody knows. You didn't really do anything wrong. You're just, you're threatening our, our, our way of life even. And so what do I need to do to be saved? You see, they had seen and they had heard about the kingdom workers. In verse 31, they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus. You put your faith in him and you'll be saved, you and your whole household. Verse 32, then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all of the others in the house. It's interesting, isn't it? Could God use these circumstances to bring about his desired kingdom work? Verse 33, at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and he washed their wounds. And then immediately he and his whole household were baptized. Now, remember their wounds, okay? They'd just been beaten with rods. Okay, it's probably ooey gooey on the back. And I've always wondered why did he, you know, have to do the wounds? And then it says they immediately were baptized. It's like, can you imagine getting in that water? You know, it's like blood's like, you know, the water's a little bloody. It's like, no, it's supposed to be the blood of the lamb, you know, not, not the blood off your back, Paul and Silas. So uh, he does, he, he takes care of them. He nurses their wounds. And then immediately he and his whole, ho- whole household were baptized. Verse 34, the jailer brought them into his house And he set a meal before them, and he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. It's amazing. Right there in Acts 16, in just verses 11 through 34 there, we have three people that have joined the church. And this last guy is kind of interesting because I'd say he's probably somebody that maybe we can relate to. He's the jailer. He's the blue-collar worker. Probably an ex-military guy that's just, you know, kind of riding this thing into retirement, guarding the prison. He was a Roman. And really, this guy, I mean, he's like a lot of guys today. You know, I just want to get my paycheck, I want to go home, and I want to watch the game, right? I mean, he's just minding his own business. I just do my job, and then I go home. I mean, he's, he's one of those that he's, he's dutiful, right? He's duty-bound. He, he's not thinking about eternal life. He's not thinking about what would make his life, you know, more meaningful and more impactful. He's just existing. He's just doing his job. He's clocking in. He's clocking out. He's going home. He's middle class. He's not rich. He's not poor. And Paul and Silas come to his prison, and he makes sure they're in the inner part of the prison. He makes sure that they're locked up snug and tight. He makes sure that they're even in the stocks. And then in the middle of the night through a praise service, an earthquake happens and it changes everything. And Paul and Silas, they show this jailer an example of grace-filled Christian living. And I think it shakes this big, burly jailer man to his core and because of not only the example and the witness and the testimony but because of the grace offered to this jailer hey we're right here we're not running away don't kill yourself don't take your life we're right here in fact we've come to give you life not for you to take your life 
It changes the eternal destination, not only of a Philippian jailer, but his entire household was saved. Amazing. Let's, let's read on and finish the story. Go to uh, chapter 16 there, verse 35. Remember, all this happened in, in the middle of the night. So when it was daylight, interesting, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. Hmm. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, now put yourself in his shoes, Okay. At this point, I'm like, thank you very much. Obviously did the kingdom work here. God used this situation so we could get to the Philippian jailer. His whole household is saved. They're going to join the church here in Philippi. We will gladly be out of here right now. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens. And then they threw us into prison. And now, do they want to get rid of us quietly no, let them come themselves and escort us out. It's okay. You're like, ooh, yeah, yeah. One of those moments in Scripture. Really? Verse 38, the officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were quite alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. Now, notice the words appease. And remember, he said, they'll, they'll escort me out. And they escorted him out, just like Paul said. And then they requested, please, please, pretty please, leave the city. Just, just get out of our hair. Verse 40, after Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Notice, they're now brothers and sisters. It's not Lydia, the seller of purple cloth and the formerly demon-possessed slave girl and the Philippian jailer. Now, we're meeting with the, the church, the brothers and the sisters, and encouraged them. And then... They left. Now go back to what we had read at the beginning. And do you see why he might have great affection for this church? Miraculous beginning. Many strange and wonderful things happened. I don't know that he would say, well, the beating on my back was wonderful. Um, but the rest of it, I mean, it's amazing how God used their faithfulness to accomplish his greater purpose. And isn't it amazing that it was in worship in the middle of the night that he could use them? He had also used them as they were going along their way to a place of prayer. As they went along their way, he used them. And even contained and confined in a prison, he used them. And even through a vision coming to Macedonia and coming specifically to Philippi, he used the kingdom workers. I think there's three points of application I want to share with you this morning. The first one is this. God will use kingdom workers in supernatural situations. God will use kingdom workers in supernatural situations. Sometimes it's not going to make sense. And sometimes you're going to go, ooh, this is weird. It's supernatural. Yes, in fact, it is. Don't put God in a box. Don't ever put God in a box. 
He's all-powerful. He can still do whatever he wants to do and use whatever circumstance. Odd, weird, indifferent, something you don't like, your pain, your bloodied back from persecution to save someone. God will use kingdom workers in supernatural situations. And as you serve him longer, guess what? You just have more situations that are supernatural. If you haven't experienced that, got to get to serving. Got to get involved as a kingdom worker. Trust me, you will have your story. The second thing this morning, God needs kingdom workers who are willing to just do whatever he calls them to, even if it doesn't make sense. He needs kingdom workers who are willing to do what he's called them to do, even if it doesn't make sense. Well, I don't understand why I would be working in this ministry because this doesn't make sense, you know, and God wants you there. God can use you there anyway. In spite of what you may think and in spite of what you may feel, you answer the call of God, even when it doesn't make sense. When I was a youth minister in my ministry in Colorado, in Paonia, I remember I was a new youth minister starting a new youth ministry, and you need lots of volunteers, lots of sponsors. And I remember I had someone named Marty Rosman. Her husband had uh, died about 10 or 15 years before. Marty Rosman uh, comes and says, I want to be a youth sponsor. I'm like, great. I meet Marty Rosman. Marty is 67 years old. You think 67 years old, how is this lady going to minister and relate to youth. I mean, you know, when she was in school, the biggest problems were, you know, chewing gum and paper airplane throwing, and that's not what students are dealing with today. And so I'm, I'm just wondering, God, how is this going to work? And I'm new there, and I need sponsors, but I don't want just, you know, warm bodies. And so it's kind of like we have some standards here, and I have some vision here, and I, you know, but I meet with Marty, and I see the heart, and I decide, okay, God, she feels called. Okay. Marty Rosman goes on to lead junior high girls, and they love Marty. And, and Marty goes on even beyond my ministry and continues to be a small group leader of junior high girls for years. And Marty was faithful. And Marty was doing ministry with junior high girls even when, to me, didn't make sense. But she had that call to be a kingdom worker who was just willing to do what she felt like God had called her to do, even when it didn't maybe make sense. The last thing this morning, God calls us to faithfulness. God calls us to faithfulness. Do what God says, and you leave the results to him. God calls us to faithfulness. You do what God says, and you leave the results to him. I, I, we talk about this with our staff sometimes here at the church. I tell them, you just do whatever God says, and you leave the results to him. Sometimes we're put in circumstances we don't want to be in. We have to go confront somebody. We have to go, you know, feels like we have to go and have this time of intervention. Oh, by the way, that's the series starting next week. You should come. We have to go do things that God's called us to do that's clear in Scripture, that's uncomfortable for us, and in our flesh we're saying, no, no. We might lose a friend. They might be mad at us. They, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what the other result is going to be, and yet we know what God's called us to do. He's called us to be faithful. And so you do what God calls you to do and you leave the results to him. God is in charge of the results. It's ultimately through his power that miraculous things happen for the kingdom. 
And what I hope that you've gotten through this whole series, and probably some of you are like, duh, we're called to be kingdom workers. Everyone. When you make your salvation decision to call upon Jesus as Savior and Lord, the scripture tells us, and I'm going to be teaching on this on Wednesday nights this fall, that God supernaturally gives you spiritual gifts. He gives you. He also uses your personality and your experiences, your life experiences. He uses your natural abilities and maybe gives you some supernatural ones. And he says, I want you to use these to serve the kingdom. This is what Jesus said about kingdom workers in the middle of the gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 10, verse two. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Man, that was back then. Do you ever see that in the church today? I think there was like 140 spots out on the kingdom worker wall out in the lobby. Do you think that like 650, 700 people could fill 140 spots? The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Jesus didn't stop there. Then he said this, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Workers. Kingdom workers. Because I want to tell you the truth. Kingdom work never ends. Until your time's up and God calls you home, your kingdom work never ends. So don't hang it on your disability. Don't hang it on your, well, I'm retired. Don't hang it on, I don't have enough money or I got too much money or I don't have time or whatever your excuse is. You look at this church that through the kingdom work, was established and socioeconomic didn't matter. Very diverse group, right? We've got Lydia, formerly demon possessed slave girl, blue collar Philippian jailer, and these mix it up and become this church that Paul writes about. And he's so affectionate toward them, he's so excited for them. He says, I want you guys to continue to grow and that your love may abound in knowledge and in depth of insight so that you can go on and keep growing and maturing. And be the church that makes a difference in the world. We're going to take communion together this morning. And hopefully uh, you got those, those cups when you came in this morning. If not, feel free to jump out and grab some. It looks like Charles has got some in the back there. So you need to go just see him and grab those. And if you're with us online, hopefully you've made those preparations wherever you are this morning. We're going to take communion together this morning. When we do this, and I know I've talked about this before, it's not just for us. I think sometimes we think communion is very personal. It's just me and Jesus, and it is. But it's also me and the other people around the table. And a lot of times we think about right here, Oakwood Christian Church, you know, 1030 service. This is it. This is just. But beyond that, the church worldwide Many of the Christians today will be taking communion. And it got me thinking this morning with what's going on in our world. There are kingdom workers in Afghanistan right now who are hunkered down in homes and they don't know if they'll ever make it to the airport. And when we take communion this morning, we're taking communion around the Lord's table with them too with the underground church and the persecuted church all around the world. 
And I wonder, what's communion like when you don't know? What's communion like when you don't know what's going to happen? You got a lot of fear and anxiety. And even the fact that you could be caught with communion in the name of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ could mean execution for you. Or maybe you'd just be beaten with rods and thrown in jail like Paul and Silas today. But hey, church, we've got it really good. And we can do this freely right now. And as you take this bread that represents Jesus' body and this cup that represents his blood, and you pray and you repent of your sins and you lay things out and you thank God for his sacrifice, would you also pray for kingdom workers around the world in the situation that they're in? And let's have a global mindset to our communion this morning. Please pray with me. Lord God, I, I thank you for kingdom workers that are faithful even in places completely around the globe. And it's not just Afghanistan, Lord. We know the underground church in China. We know um, in Mongolia. We know in Indonesia. Uh, we know in India. We know that around the world, Christians are persecuted for their faith in you. And Lord, as they gather today in a, in a time zone that may be happening 12 hours from now, or maybe it happened 12 hours ago, they break bread. They do what the Bible says, and they get together and they break bread. They worship you in this moment as we're doing now. Lord, I just pray a special blessing on all of them. And I pray, God, as you've called us in this series, that we would be kingdom workers right here, right now. God, that we would be found faithful to you, using the gifts that you've given us, the talents, the abilities, the experiences, the spiritual gifts, for your kingdom's work. And that through it, Lord, we may, we may see a church in Philippi someday, a very diverse church, that just because we answered the call to go and to be faithful, there are many Christians there today. Lord, I pray that for the kingdom workers in the room now and those around the world as we take this time and we remember your sacrifice. Lord, we proclaim this until you come again. In Jesus' name, amen. Just take a few moments this morning in communion with your Savior, Jesus Christ.